Well, they're laughing. Now they're now they're awake. So they're giggling, so they can't. <laughs> well, you always got to get a good giggle in before bed. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Otherwise... Well, good night. <laughs> well, good night, everybody. <laughs> Otherwise, what? What happens if you don't giggle before bed? Well, you can't go to sleep. <laughs> the giggle monster will come. Oh no. <laughs> And this is why I don't write children's movies. (laughs) Nobody would watch them. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks, Guthrie. Yep. (laughs) See you. (laughs) You as well, John. Have a good night. Have a good Good luck biking with the kiddos. (laughs) Definitely keep all this stuff in. I think this is the stuff (laughs) people want to hear. This is good. All right. (laughs) Fair enough. All right. Bye. Catch you later. Bye bye. Welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we're simplifying the good life. I'm Guthrie Straw. I'm Joan Pettit. We're broadcasting from Portland, Oregon, nestled in the heart of Cascadia. This is the show where we bring you somewhat irreverent conversations about the intricacies of thinking locally, with a global perspective, and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way. We cover bicycling, trains, and transit, infrastructure, adventure, and today... Bicycling in Vancouver, British Columbia, in Canada, with uh, spokesmama Lisa, who will be joining us in just a bit. So we're we're going international today, but uh, still in the same time zone, as <laughs> which is yes. convenient. <laughs> so we put out uh, a call a few weeks ago on social media asking folks, "What do you want to hear about? What kind of topics do you want to hear?" and um, I think it was uh, Kyle said, let's, you know, let's hear about Vancouver and what's going on up there. Um, They have some great infrastructure. So um, yeah. And, and Lisa does a lot more than just bike around Vancouver. So we will be hearing lots of good stuff from her. Yeah, that we will should be exciting to get into. Um, Speaking of getting into what have you been into this week, Joan? (laughs) Well, I had a lovely s- small bicycle adventure on Saturday that I realized while I was doing it was kind of a like dream bike day or bike outing. Uh, my oldest kid wanted to go to the thrift store and um, he's just started, he, he didn't bike for a long time and I didn't push it, but he started bike commuting now that he has a job. And so we rode our bikes together to a couple thrift and vintage stores and poked around a little bit. And uh, that's pretty much like a dream weekend day for me, like with my kid on bikes. So that was really very nice, very nice to do that. And like not a huge deal, but like, you know, still pretty fun. Also, it's just nice when like a teenager who you're related to wants to hang out with you. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It's like a gift. Feels like a gift. So, I mean, what have I been up to? I don't know. Just, just got back from vacation, just trying to get settled back in and, and trying to get on my bike more to just do some errands since I'm still not back at work regularly and bike commuting. How about you, Guthrie? What have you been up to? Oh, um, very similar. Well, I mean, not similar, but, uh, had a good Saturday, had a good Sunday, uh, got around town. Usually I'm trying to be out and doing something, but we had a sleep-in weekend, and that was nice just to, like, 
not have something on the schedule. So we didn't end up thrifting, but um, <laughs> bike tag was had and a couple of other favorite Portland haunts. Um, yeah, pretty, pretty chill, pretty, pretty mellow, all things considered, uh, just riding around on the bikes. It was funny when you mentioned uh, going into the vintage stores and like having a teenage son or kid who likes you. Um, I was hearing like quite the polar opposite from somebody else just today. And they were like, oh yeah, my weekend, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> just seemed like there's very hot and cold between me and my kid. So um, yeah, you gotta, you gotta count those good kid days when you got them. And sounds like a, a good time was had. Yeah. Yeah. And he, um, so he was riding, um, this bike we had that had been, uh, his dad's bike, but his dad was, it was basically a mountain bike with shocks, but kind of converted into a city bike with like better handlebars and some fenders and a rack and it's heavy and clunky and, but it's fine. It's more than adequate, but, um, a couple week or two ago, he broke the chain on it and, um, I think he just doesn't really know how to change gears very well. I don't know. I don't know how it happened, but he was like a few miles from home and I was out of town and he called his dad who wasn't around and he didn't want to just bring it into a bike shop. So he ended up walking home, which I feel like is one of the lessons that we sometimes <laughs> have in, uh, bicycling. So, um, but anyway, now he's basically on, um, riding my old road bike. It's been really fun to have a bike project that's not just for me because then, I don't know, it feels, it's almost like easier to be excited about it because it doesn't just feel selfish. But of course uh, it is selfish gotcha. because, you know, I'm super excited that like the other day it was like, can we go to a bike shop and look at bikes? And I was like, yes, we can. <laughs> yes, we can do that. And let me tell you about this. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. I got to I gotta go, go slower. Be cool. Be cool. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. And he was like noting the head badges on some of the, you know, and just all sorts of fun little things. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. But it does, you know, that this is this is one kid. The other kid, 16, not on a bike, you know, not even I'm not even trying. I'm not even it needs to come from them at this point. Yeah, that's OK. I, mm -hmm. you know, maybe we can ask and spokesmom will have, you know, some insight into that experience as well, which can be shared. Um, yeah, with the riding other... around and like the interest thing, it's, it's true. You want, you want folks to like get into it, but you don't want to like get them too into it. Like, just cause you're excited about something doesn't, I learned this lesson like way too frequently, but um, <laughs> just cause like you're excited about something doesn't always mean that like everybody is excited about the same things that you are so it's like oh yeah <laughs> just feed the little bit of interest for yeah and and uh yeah I feel like yes I also we were having some conversation about and I made some comment about like just some offhand comment like I know a fair amount about riding a bike right like not a huge statement and not like about bicycles and and uh he sort of like was like, well, I don't think you're really an expert. And then I was like, okay, he wants this to be his thing too. So I'm not gonna, <laughs> so, okay, you can have it. Like if you want to be the person who knows about bikes, mm -hmm. I will not challenge that. Mm, gotcha. You know, so it's, I'm attempting to be, you know, subtle and thoughtful. 
I don't know mm. if it'll work. <laughs> okay, yeah. that's enough. That's probably more than folks want to hear about parent-teen dynamics around bicycling. I'd be interested though in hearing from folks um, if you have a teen who is riding bikes a lot. Uh, I'd be interested, and you will also ride bikes a lot. I'd be interested to hear how that all. I mean, it it can give kids a lot of freedom, um, especially even even if they never want to drive, especially before they can drive or if you don't have a car in your family. Um, but you know, how you sort of, you know, cause they don't always want to do the things their parents want to do. <laughs> even if those things are sort of cool, like riding a bike. Yeah. Yeah. And we've had definitely some guests on in the past who've, who've talked on that subject. I'm curious what the 2021 version of that looks like because, um, I think most of those interviews, I don't know if there's like a pandemic break in like attitudes around that, but I'm sure that commuting with kids via bicycles has changed quite a bit in the last couple of years, at least I would imagine. Um, there may also be larger manufacturers that are doing more kids in sort of urban cycling where um, I remember visiting Splendid Cycles the other day. And the owner was saying, yeah, like the vast majority of our business, you know, this bike, it's going to go to a family with kids. And so, um, you know, now that now that those machines of kid biking have really had a while to establish and they've really fine tuned things, I'd uh, be curious what the landscape looks like these days. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if anyone wants to share those thoughts with us, please, please let us know. And uh yeah, I, you know, that is a good question. I mean, I think families were going a lot fewer places over the past year. Uh, but then, you know, some people are doing more time on bikes because they don't want to be on the bus uh, if they were taking a bus or the kids were taking a bus. So there's all sorts of shift. And then there's still, it's still kind of hard to get bikes. You know, it's still, uh, shops don't have a consistent supply of new bikes anymore. And I guess bike parts are really in high demand too. So there's some supply chain issues still. Yeah, definitely. It's our guest. What a treat. All right, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. It's nice to meet you. And can I ask you to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, so my name is Lisa Corvo. I live in Vancouver, BC, and uh, I've got a couple of kids. I'm married. Um, and we get around primarily by the bicycle. We don't have a car. Um, I work as a cycling instructor for a local nonprofit uh, bike advocacy organization called Hub Cycling. Um, and I do some volunteer work around cycling and uh, spend a lot of time on Twitter. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's me in a nutshell, I suppose. And I feel like I could ask you 80 questions just based on <laughs> the things you just said. So you, so first, can you just talk uh, a little bit about, um, about the kind of, uh, like about how old your kids are and the way you all are moving around together, if they're on their own sure. bikes, what kind of bikes you're using, that kind of thing. Um, so my kids just had their birthdays. They're eight and 11 years old. Um, when we're going to school, uh, in the mornings, we don't have enough time for them to ride their bikes. <laughs> so I just put them on the back of my electric cargo bike and zip them to school. Um, it takes about like eight or nine minutes to get them there. Um, 
if they ride, we sort of need to allow more like 15 or so. So it saves us a few minutes. Um, when we're not in a rush, uh, maybe on the weekends or in the evenings, um, if we're going to park or going out somewhere else, uh, the kids will usually ride their own bikes. Um, and my partner, he uh, usually bike commutes to work. Um, he's been working from home for the last year and a half. He's just starting to go back into the office now. So um, he hasn't been doing as much riding as I have, but uh, yeah, we, we just, that's how we get around the city basically, um, mostly by bike. Um, yeah, we've, we've been using cargo bikes for, how long is it now? Uh, seven years? So before that, we had a trailer and a front seat. Um, but yeah, the kids have been on our bikes for, you know, since they're babies. Um, so they're really used to getting around that way. Um, we occasionally use cars. Um, we have a, a car share co-op in our city called Moto, which um, we've been members of for like 18 years. Um, so that kind of allows us to not own a car, but we do have access to them if we need them. So. Um, like this year, we, we haven't been seeing family really, but um, the trips that we have used cars for have been like things that you just can't do by bicycle, like taking a load of stuff to the zero waste center or getting rid of mattresses, <laughs> like multiple queen size mattresses, um, picking up a, a, like a metric ton of, of compost soil. <laughs> So we've been using trucks a lot, actually. <laughs> That's, I mean, actually, you know, being able to do most things by bike and occasionally needing a truck sounds sort of like an ideal life to be living. Although, although, yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I should, I should clarify when I say we've used trucks a lot. I mean, like four times in 2021. That's a lot for us. <laughs> we really don't drive much. What's the, I know you use that word. What, what's that word for when you're trying to, carry all sorts of things in weird ways on your bike <laughs> um well they're like trying to figure out how to fit it on there that would be bike tetris maybe. yes <laughs> um, <laughs> if it's just something really big and unwieldy you know um there's the hashtag carry shit olympics um i don't know if i'm allowed to swear here but <laughs> yeah sorry it's fine uh, yeah. totally cool yeah <laughs> um well, so can you, uh, can you talk a little bit about, okay, so it sounds like you've been riding around Vancouver for a long time and, and with kids and on cargo mm -hmm. bikes for a long time and primarily by bike for a long time. And we emailed a little bit about, um, uh, we, we heard from a couple of our listeners, Hami and Kyle, who wanted to hear more about Vancouver. And specifically, if you could compare it to <laughs> Portland, um, you said you've spent a little bit of time in Portland and Seattle, and not all of our listeners are in Portland and Seattle. But something that I was struck by in Vancouver a few years ago was how much more bike infrastructure there was in Vancouver relative to Portland, which is regarded as a pretty good place for biking in the U.S., you know, in the U.S. being a big qualifier there. And, um, and Vancouver really seems to have invested a lot and made a lot of changes, I think, relatively recently to really build out its bike network, which seemed to me as a visitor, I mean, for me, as somebody who had never been there before, I was able to get around with ease on my bike. And that 
is not an experience I think a lot of people would have in many American cities. So can you not, you don't have to compare too much, but can you just talk about sort of the changes that have happened there or what you've seen? And um, Well, I, I mean, I started riding regularly for, you know, for transportation. Uh, what is it now? It's 21, 22 years ago. So when I started, there was just a couple of like neighborhood bikeways so streets that you know the, the speed limit I think back then was 30 um that's a standard now um and then there might be some traffic calming so cars can't drive through all the way um there would be like a beg button at the major you know arterial crossing so that you could actually get through on your bike um we had those in a few places um but the the bike lanes, you know, say in the downtown core, if there was anything, it was just a little painted strip on the side. But a lot of the time, uh, you just sort of were expected to share the curb lane with buses, um, but it wasn't even like a specifically, you know, bus and bike lane. Um, it was pretty uh, hair-raising to uh, commute downtown to work <laughs> back then. You had to be an adrenaline junkie to do it. Um, and yeah, since then, I mean, the last 10 years, I guess I would say is, is the biggest changes. We've had some of the, um, the big protected bike lanes going downtown, a Dunsmere, Hornby, um, I don't know if anyone knows the street names, but there's, there's a few of them that cross the downtown core. Um, and uh, they connect up with the, the seawall bike path, which kind of goes around the outside of the downtown peninsula and then along the kind of west side of the city along the water. And they've upgraded that to, um, it used to be mostly pedestrian and cycling shared path and they've split them up, um, made it a lot clearer who goes where. And um, yeah, there's been some improvements to safety along there. They've added uh, a lot more um, traffic calming in some spots that were a bit dodgy. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely, like recreational riding is really, is really easy. Um, there's a lot of nice paths now that you can do a nice long ride and uh, getting around the city with the, with the neighborhood bikeways, which they're still improving with more and more traffic calming. Um, it's not bad in, in the, the downtown area and then like the neighborhoods kind of around the downtown. Once you get a little farther, like a, a few kilometers away, they get a bit thinner <laughs> and it's not as easy to navigate. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a lot better than it was um, 20 years ago. And I mean, I feel safe riding with my kids on most of those neighborhood bikeways and definitely the protected lanes. So it's, it's possible for families to get around. We're not the only ones doing it. Do you, do you have any sense of like what, what the shift was? Was that led by the city? Was there a large outcry of people in the city, you know, marching on city hall demanding bike? I would, I love that idea. You know, we demand bike lanes. Uh, um, it's hard to say. I mean, I wasn't as involved with the sort of advocacy side um, when I started commuting. I mean, I did participate in a lot of critical mass rides. I don't know if you have those where you are, but yeah, we would, yeah. you know, it was essentially a protest for for cycling and safer streets. And we used to have them every Friday um, for a few years back in like the early 2000s. And I think the last one I went to was 2008. And then they kind of quieted down after we got more of the bike lanes. Um, I, I mean, part of it was the mayor, you know, he'd bike to work and 
he was definitely interested in improving um, cycling in the city. And he sort of put up with a lot of flack for just putting in some of the protected lanes and, you know, reallocating a, a lane of, of car traffic into a bike lane on, on one of the major bridges downtown. And he just did it. And everyone was up in arms, the business community and drivers. And then Armageddon did not happen and the businesses did not, you know, <laughs> go into bankruptcy. And I mean, the Downtown Business Association actually is a big proponent of the cycle lanes now um, because they realized after that experience that, oh, actually it's great. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, it, it, yeah, it's a mix of things, I think. Like, I think um, there's definitely lots of um, advocacy coming from hub cycling, which I think at the time was the Vancouver area cycling coalition, they changed their name. Um, so there was some kind of, you know, organizations and grassroots uh, pushing for more bike infrastructure, but uh, having a mayor that was um, willing to do it and, uh, you know, risk risk the, the fallout. <laughs> um, but then there wasn't any um, that I think got it started. And then it's, it's sort of just become something that the city does like they're adding to the bike network every year um, yeah so it's been it, it is slow but it is growing in part of that growth have you seen good uh affordances for cargo biking or biking with larger bikes um just thinking to some of the infrastructure here we have really great infrastructure up to certain points and then when you start to try to push larger bikes through it's like oh just kidding this doesn't quite work as well um, I'm curious what your experience has been as like a longer wheelbase cyclist in Vancouver over that period of time. Mm -hmm. um, mostly it's fine. Um, like we have bollards on a lot of the pathways. Um, so drivers don't you know come into the bike lane, but they tend to be, uh, I don't know what the width is because I think it's like maybe 1.2, 1.3 meters wide. Um, I, I should know because I was riding through some of them on Saturday. Um, I volunteer for Cycling Without Age and we ride these trikes that have like a double seat on the front. So they're quite wide. They're like over a meter wide. I think the one I was riding is 110 centimeters wide. Um, so it fits two adults on the front. Um, and I was riding along the, the seawall path and I had to get through some bollards and I just squeezed through. There was like a, you know, a few centimeters on either side, <laughs> but I was able to do it. And that's quite a, a big bike. Um, so yeah, I think for the most part, it's fine. Um, there's a couple places in our big park, Stanley Park, um, where they have uh, kind of, I don't know what to call it, those baffles, I guess, where you have to kind of get off your bike and do an S curve because there's gates that are offset. There's like three places where they've done that to mm. slow cyclists down near beaches, basically. Okay. Um, so those are not accessible for bigger cargo bikes. Um, but that's the only place I can think of that has them in the city. Um, and we're, we're working on getting rid of those. <laughs> cool. Um, right they on. also get in the way of adaptive cyclists too. So anybody who's on like a one of the longer bikes, you know, say someone who's paraplegic and they use a hand cycle or hand trike, they can't get through there. So, uh, yeah, we want to make it uh, accessible on the seawall so they don't have to go on the road necessarily if they want to do the seawall. Yeah, definitely. 
And you had mentioned it a little bit earlier, but you said you volunteer with Cycling Without Age. Uh, tell us a little bit about your involvement with that organization. Um, I just started uh, technically this summer. Um, I, I mean, I volunteered in um, February, what was it, 2020. And then, you know, I did one training session and then boom, COVID. So <laughs> everything shut down. Um, and we only just started up again, taking passengers this August. Um, so I didn't get to actually ride with people on the trikes um, until recently. But uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an international organization starting Copenhagen. Um, and the idea is just to give rides to usually uh, seniors um, who aren't necessarily able to ride anymore. Um, our particular chapter, all the chapters are fairly independent um, around the world, but ours um, typically works with uh, care homes. And so we kind of set up a day where we'll um, schedule in, you know, like four or eight rides with residents of the care home. Um, and usually a family member goes with them as well. So it'll be two adults who get to sit in the front of the trike and uh, we'll go for like a little half hour, 45 minute ride around. Them. And uh, yeah, it gets them, you know, out in, out in the fresh air and um, they get to tell me stories and about how the city has changed and where they've, where they've uh, lived in the world and things like that. Sing me songs sometimes. <laughs> um, nice. Yeah, it's pretty cool. The last, the last one I did was Saturday. We were um, taking people from a, a care home in uh, Chinatown. And uh, one of the members, he wasn't, uh, he was speaking Chinese to his son. Um, but he was sort of translating for me and telling me about how things had changed since um, Expo 86, the, you know, the big festival that happened. Um, that was in that area. So he was remembering all of the things that were there during Expo and how everything's changed in that neighborhood since then. Um, and his grandson actually was riding with us too. So it was the, the father, the son, and then the grandson on his own little bike riding with us. Nice. That's great. I hadn't heard of this organization or this not or whatever organization or, or it's yeah. but it's all over the world. Now that I'm looking at the yeah. internet, so yeah, we'll put a we'll it's put a note to uh, uh, put a note in our show notes. We will we will link to it so people mm -hmm. can see. And yeah, these are great. So they're tricycles. They almost like like from the front. They almost look like double sized yeah. wheelchairs. But then somebody's just biking along in the back. That's great. Somebody pushed me around in a bike like yeah, when I'm old. <laughs> or now <laughs> <laughs> they're we call them trishas so they're like a trike and rickshaw um, <laughs> that's great that's great yeah it's it's a it's a really fun uh, volunteer job um and it's i think it's 50 countries or 52 countries and there's like something like fourteen thousand volunteers around the world who are, who are riding with me that is that is great i think that's great that you're you're doing that and uh if you, for folks who I'm looking at the website, folks can go online and see if there is a chapter in their town. There's a nice big map and they're all, it looks like in a lot of places in Canada, uh, throughout North, well, not so much Mexico, but throughout the U S and Canada, there's a lot. And, uh, yeah, so that's great. Yeah. Um, and can you talk a little bit about hub cycling? You said you're a cycling instructor for hub cycling. So can you tell us what that means and what you do? Yeah. <laughs> so hub cycling um, is uh, it started out as the Vancouver Area Cycling Coalition, but we broadened our, our work a little bit more to the whole metro area and even across the province. 
Um, we basically do three things. We do uh, education. So I teach uh, children at schools, as well as uh, adults and families in the community, um, how to ride bikes, you know, if they don't know how, how to ride safely, learning, you know, the rules of the road. Um, and uh, we also do education, or sorry, we do education, we do advocacy. So we work to make biking better around the province, um, you know, pushing for safe passing laws and uh, more, more infrastructure. Uh, and then we also do events. So uh, Hub organizes Bike to Work Week, Bike to School Week, um, Bike to Shop Month. Um, not this year, unfortunately, but hopefully next year, Bike the Night will be back, which is kind of like a big bike rave on a organized um, 10 kilometer route through downtown at night. Um, yeah, they do some other, you know, like webinars and uh, uh, speaking events sometimes as well. So yeah, I've been doing that for teaching for about five years um, with them. And it's a, yeah, it's a pretty rewarding job um, getting to see that huge smile when somebody figures it out and starts pedaling away, um, no matter what age they are, because I've taught people to ride from age like five up to 70 or 80 something. Um, yeah. Um, it's, it's pretty neat. <laughs> or the kids who know how to ride already in schools, but they're learning the rules of the roads. So they kind of understand how things are supposed to work. They get, they get very empowered by learning how to navigate a four-way stop, <laughs> little things like that. Um, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty neat job. Yeah, that is great. That's great that what, yeah, to, to be teaching adults to ride bikes seems, yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I have two kids and I, I don't even remember when they learn. Uh, it was a pretty, teaching. yeah, but it seems really different to be teaching adults who I imagine might be more tentative or. Yeah. Yeah. It's have further very to different. fall. Um, <laughs> it, it also depends on the, you know, it really depends on the person. Like I, I taught both my kids before I started this job and I've learned a lot more um, about how to teach people to ride bikes so I, I definitely made some mistakes with my own kids that I wouldn't repeat um, <laughs> if I did it over again but yeah kids are typically less fearful if they're you know under like eight or so um, when they get a little older than that then especially if they're in front of their peers it's it's difficult <laughs> um, adults there's a lot more yeah, just a lot more attention and, and anxiety that really physically manifests um, and makes it hard for to balance. There's just so many more years of, um, I don't know, just uh, <laughs> stuff to get through, I guess. So it's definitely a different process teaching adults and kids, but it's, uh, it's really rewarding when people get it um, because a lot of people think that they, you know, it's too late or they, they can't or, or, you know, or they were like, I, I teach a lot of uh, immigrant and refugee women who, you know, they, they couldn't really do it where they came from. It wasn't allowed or it was looked, you know, frowned upon. Um, so they didn't have the opportunity and, uh, it's, it's great to, to watch them, uh, to learn to ride and then be able to go for rides with their kids who've already picked it up quickly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you're, you're, they're getting some freedom and then they're getting the ability to like do this cool thing with their kids. Right. It's, and it's play, right? Like it, it can feel like play for them, which maybe they haven't been able to do. That's really great. If you were, 
if can you say a couple things that I'm sure many folks, many of our listeners have or will at some point want to teach somebody, a kid or adult, how to ride a bike? If there's a couple things that weren't super obvious to you that now are like you feel like are just truths about how to teach somebody how to bike, are there a couple couple things that come to mind or things um, that we do that are, you know, yeah, some of those mistakes we might make? I mean, as, as low pressure as possible. Um, so whoever's learning really needs to be on board and they need to want to do it. Um, you can't, you can't pressure someone into it <laughs> and it won't help them feel less nervous. Um, letting them, um, find their balance on their own. So not holding them up, not holding up the bike. Um, so I don't like, for most people, I wouldn't use training wheels. There's some, sometimes it, 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 yeah, if people really have balance or coordination issues, you you do need them. But for the most part, um, just using a bike, possibly with the pedals taken off and just pushing with your feet um, till you can glide and have your feet up and get the balance. That's, that's what you need to do first. And then you get the pedals back on and figure that out. But holding up the bike by the saddle or holding shoulders or whatever doesn't, doesn't help them have balance. So no training wheels, no handles on the back, um, generally avoid, um, which is great when you're working with adults, you don't want to be, you know, touching them all the time. <laughs> you know, it makes sense to uh, let them learn on their own and for kids too. Um, yeah, I guess that's the other thing I was going to think of. Oh yeah. Um, and when you're learning on a bike, um, from scratch, you need a bike that's kind of too small. Um, so you need a bike that you can sit on with your feet completely flat on the ground. So the way you fit the bike is going to be not the way you need it once you've learned to ride. So it almost makes sense to have one bike for learning. Then once you get it, you move up to a bigger bike so that you can stretch out your legs when you're pedaling. So Right. Um, like a balance bike, like a balance bike for adults kind of thing. Yeah. It's just just a smaller, it's just a small bike, slightly smaller bike. Yeah. That makes sense. Boy, those are all really good tips. Yeah. Especially the learning, wanting to learn to do it. That seems pretty key. With my son, it was really um, tricky (laughs) because I really wanted him to learn to ride a bike and he seemed pretty excited about it. He was great on his little balance bike. Um, he used that from when he was two till he was four. And, but then once he got on the pedal bike, it was just different and much harder for him. And he, you just couldn't really push him to, to do it or to practice. He had to just sort of forget about it and let him do it when he was ready. And uh, yeah, it, it was a longer process for him than for my daughter, for example, who just like, decided one day she was going to learn to ride a bike and she was pretty much done in an hour. So, yeah, but that's how, you know, their personalities are different that way. She was like three and a half and he was five and a half when they learned. Um, That little, that little sibling extra motivation, maybe, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. She, she was very motivated. Yeah. Like when we, we bought her a bike when she, for her third birthday and picked it up at the store. Um, and they had, it had training wheels on it at the store. So, you know, they're like, okay, here it is. It's ready. And um, she, she really wanted to ride it home, but like 
I didn't want to let her ride two kilometers home on a, you know, she's a three-year-old. <laughs> it's got training wheels, and she really knows, you know, so I have this photo of, I have this photo of her that I see every few years at that time of year, you know, Facebook memories or whatever. Um, it's front of my buck feet and she's sitting in the front of the box beside her little tiny bicycle, crying her eyes out angrily because I won't let her ride her bike up the hill home two kilometers on the road. <laughs> but uh, yeah, she was also very insistent that we not change the bike or break the bike. So we had to keep the training wheels on, which I had originally planned to do. I wanted to start her without them, but yeah. <laughs> it was only a few months later that she figured it out, so pretty funny <laughs> teaching people to ride bikes well and I want to circle back to something you said earlier and you in um talking about infrastructure there and you said you feel uh pretty safe and comfortable biking with your kids there and that's really interesting because I um I mean would that we all had that right like and I I think that's something that I know I talk a lot about with other parents especially with I mean with ourselves right but especially with kids where boy, you really need, the more protected the infrastructure is, right? Like the less you're worried about, like the, the harder it is for, you know, a car to hit anybody, not just kids, then the safer it is for kids, right? Who can sometimes be less predictable. Although I imagine at eight and 11, yeah. your kids have probably, you know, kind of, I'm sure they really know what they're doing now on their bikes, but you know, at three or, you know, <laughs> yeah. or four or five, you know, it's, it's like, you want to be able to look out for your kid and not have to just worry about, you know, drivers not paying attention or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, <laughs> the neighborhood bikeways are all right. Um, we do still tend to try to avoid, you know, rush hour. And um, yeah, we, we kind of, we don't always ride. Um, like we don't ride all the streets in the city. We keep, you know, we choose our routes carefully. Um, and then, you know, we also have the option because we have cargo bikes to carry the kids, um, and their bike, or we've got a, a couple of tow cables as well. So we'll tow them up hills <laughs> to make it a bit easier. So we can choose a route that's like got less traffic, but maybe more hills. I don't know why that always goes together, but, uh, um, a lot of the bike routes are fairly hilly in our area. Lisa, I had one more thing that I wanted to ask you about that we talked a little bit about in advance um, and we haven't really touched on, on yet. And can you, but you mentioned, can you talk a little bit about um, some of the health issues you've been dealing with and how that impacts, you know, your, how you ride your bike and what bike riding does for you? Yeah. Um, so I was born with developmental hip dysplasia. So my, my hip joints are not uh, properly formed. And so they're wearing out very early. Um, I've had some pain on and off for about 20 years now. I'm, I'm 46. Um, I didn't get a diagnosis of osteoarthritis until I was 40 though. I just thought it was like, oh, I pulled a muscle or something. Um, by that point, I was really struggling to walk anywhere at all. Um, and dealing with a lot of pain. Uh, I could ride, but I couldn't, uh, you know, like pushing the stroller with my kids because they were fairly little then. Um, was, yeah, it was getting really difficult. So um, once I figured out what was going on, I was able to, you know, do a bit better pain management and um, some physio. And uh, I sort of 
started avoiding certain activities and I got that under control a little bit better. Um, but it, it, it's a, you know, it's a progressive disease. So my, my hip is eventually going to need to be replaced and I'll become a bionic woman um, <laughs> with a titanium hip, I think. Um, but yeah, so at this point, um, I tend to use a cane when I walk. Um, I don't like walking more than about a block if I can avoid it. Um, but cycling is still not painful for me. So for me, um, since getting arthritis, it made me um, get back into cycling even more um, than I was doing before. Like I used to walk quite a bit more into the transit a lot more when my kids were really little um, because we didn't have a cargo bike. Um, but then, yeah, once my hips started getting worse um, and biking was easier, then we, you know, we got cargo bikes, we just put the kids on the bike and I could still, you know, get around under my own power. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's been interesting, like having, having a disability has made me more into cycling. <laughs> um, the last two years, um, my kids have gotten bigger. They just keep eating. You know, <laughs> so it's they're amazing uh, they how that happens. <laughs> I know, right? They don't outweigh me yet, um, but it's gonna it's gonna happen soon. Um, but yeah, they're getting a little bit heavy to, to haul around on our giant buck feet. Like the bike itself is about ninety pounds, and the kids were about one hundred thirty back then. Um, so I was really tired after hauling them around to like summer camps one summer, and I decided, okay, that's it. I'm getting an e bike. Um, so yeah, I got myself an electric uh, cargo bike to turn GSD. And um, having that has made me even more um, excited about riding because um, I just don't, I don't really get tired from long rides and I don't have to worry about the hills. And, um, it's, yeah, like <laughs> it's made me uh, want to ride even more. Uh, oh, that's so. great. That's great. So it's really having that, that, uh e-cargo bike or the e-bike has really made a big difference. Yeah. Sounds like, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's enabled me to keep doing what I was doing before and do even more of it. Um, and I don't know, I just, yeah, like I, it, it's, yeah, it's something that I feel really strongly about is that we, we should make it a lot easier for disabled people to cycle because so many of us want to, and so many of us can um, obviously not everyone with a disability, but there's a lot of, a lot of people who, who want to, and, um, we need to, you know, some places we need to improve the infrastructure, getting rid of those, those gates that ask you to dismantle to walk through. Um, also just making, um, you know, the equipment more available to like electric cargo bikes or adaptive cycles for disabled people are pretty expensive. <laughs> so it would be great to see more government funding um, to cover the costs because they are definitely, you know, when you're using them like we do instead of a car. Um, if, if I was to buy an electric car, I would get, oh God, I think it's $11,000 in grant money from the government. But if I buy an electric bike, I get pretty much nothing. I pay taxes on it. <laughs> so uh, I'd like to see that change. Um, yeah. yeah, particularly for disabled cyclists even though they may not use it as transportation because you know they can't necessarily get off the bike and go into the store or whatever but um just to give them the ability to ride um when those bikes are you know ten thousand dollars maybe because it has to be custom fitted um i'd love to see more 
more accessibility of that, like perhaps um, grant money or maybe including some accessible bikes in some kind of a, a loaning or like a share program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cheers to that. Yeah. I'd like, that would be great. Yeah. We had, um, I was on a bike ride with some of the folks from our bike share here in Portland and one of the representatives had uh, one of their adaptive bikes out and um, that was nice to see as a public bike share option. I, I think that it is not super well known that they have adaptive bikes um, and there's the problem of getting to the bike to do the cycling itself, but yeah. uh, it would definitely be yeah. nice to see more options out there. And I'm, I'm glad that there are some, I think it could always be bigger for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's an organization in the UK that does, um, it's called, uh, what is it called? Wheels for Wellbeing, I think. That's right. <laughs> um, and they have like all different kinds of adaptive cycles um, and they have events where they bring all of the bikes out, bikes and trikes, and um, people can come out and try them out, um, you know, for the day for free. And so it gives people the, the chance to see what works for them, at least, um, or to just, you know, try them out every, I don't know how often they do the events, but uh, yeah, it's it's nice to just let people try it as well. Yeah, yeah that would be like great. like the test ride. <laughs> um. For our our listeners abroad who or anywhere who not in Vancouver or even if you're in Vancouver, you know, <laughs> sort of in in conclusion, I wanted to ask one city question about place and about some of what you like to cycle. Uh, somebody were visiting town. What what's a good experience? What what makes Vancouver that place for you? What's what's good to do on a bike? You could do a fairly good loop. Um, do go along the seawall because it's really beautiful. Most of it's right on the waterfront. You can get a nice view of downtown. There's a lot of beaches along there. Um, and it's completely away from traffic. Like, you know, sometimes it's like a block away from any cars. So it's it's quite nice and quiet and pretty safe for, for any, you know, all ages and abilities. Um, then there's some, um, some of the bike lanes that connect with it. They go through downtown that are fully protected that go all the way across. Um, those would be, um, those would be fun to ride through, I think. Um, so you could do that. Um, and maybe go through some of the, the neighborhood bikeways to see some of the kind of uh, older parts of the city. Um, I kind of like riding through the Adnac bikeway, which goes through um, like Chinatown, Strathcona area, which is one of the oldest parts of the city. Um, and it's really well used as well. So it will be one of many, many cyclists on the road. Well, thank you. Thank you for those tips. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. If people want to find you on the internet, where do they do that? Um, I am all over social media, (laughs) Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, a little bit on TikTok. Um, And my handle is spokesmama in most places. TikTok is the spokesmama, but anyways. And I have a blog as well, which I uh, have been neglecting. Um, which is just spokesmama.com. There's a lot of great content there. And I think a lot of probably things that would probably be useful for folks too. Well, thanks very much. We'll link to those accounts in our show notes. Um, and we really appreciate uh, you taking the time to chat with us a little bit about just a host of really great and interesting topics. So thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been fun. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Have a good evening. The Sprocket Podcast is produced in Portland, Oregon. 
If you enjoyed this show, please leave us a review or and tell your friends about us. Our website is thesprocketpodcast.com. Email to thesprocketpodcast at gmail.com. Call or text to 503-847-9774. Twitter and the Instagram at Sprocket Podcast. Thanks to Ryan J. Lane for our theme music. Hurt Bird for our headlines sounder. Marcus Norman for graphic design. And thanks to the generous support of our Patreon supporters and listeners. Shadowfoot, Wayne Norman, Cameron Lane. Richard Brzezinski, Tim Mooney, Glenn Kubish. Eric Weiss, Doug Cohen-Miller, Chris Smith. Caleb Jenkinson, J.P. Culey, Peanut Butter Jar Matt. Marco Lowe, Rich Otterstrom, Drew the Welder. Anna, Andre Johnson, Richard G. Guthrie Straw. Who's that guy? <laughs> Aaron no Green, author of We Were Like Sons and founder of The Regranary. Campsite, Macknurse David, Jeremy Kitchen. David Belay, Tim Coleman, Harry Hugel. E.J. Finneran, Brad Hipwell, Thomas Skato. Keith Hutchison, Roger, excuse me, excuse me, Ranger Tom, Ranger Tom, Joyce Wilson. Ryan Tam, Jason Oftenberg, David Moore, Todd Grossbeck. Chris Barron, Chris Barron, Chris Barron. Sean Baird, Simon Pace, Gregory Braithwaite, Bike Vids. Dude Luna, Emma Rooks, Kaka, Philip M. Spartan Dale, Mr. T, who never really left, Bike Initiative Kiwana, Sarah G. Adam D, Go Dig a Hole, Beth Hammond. Greg Murphy, Myra Martinez, Oso. Isaac M, Byron Patterson, Kristen Graham. Aaron G, Rachel Moline, Jimmy Diesel, Christopher Barnett. And our newest sponsor, Jonathan Lee. And thanks to all our former supporters who helped us along the way. Now brush your teeth. And go to bed. 